Welcome to the Woman of Marvel podcast. I'm Anjali Crochet. And I'm Judy Stevens. All right, Judy, let's cut to the chase. Women of Marvel number one is finally here. I know. I'm so excited. We've been sort of ramping up and talking about this and just now that it's here and I'm like, I don't physically have a copy in my hands, but I know that Angelique does. She keeps on showing it off. I clearly have to go to the comic shop and buy one. It's does it smell new good? comic it's smell. Smell good. It's smell good. It's new. It's new comic <laughs> smell. It came. It came in a plastic bag with its board because my local comic book shop mails me my comics and they treat me good. I just love it. It's just such great stories. I mean, the first story right off of the top is this amazing Lady Deathstrike story where she's getting her nails done. Mariko really just like knocked it out of the park with that one. Mariko Tamaki, by the way, epic writer. She wrote a a few of the stories in the comic. So I also love the back end of the book is this amazing like look into the woman at Marvel, right? The different editors and different people who are helping make comics out. And there's a little Marvel's Voices piece that you did, Angelique. I'm really lucky. And I'm like, I'm really like privileged to also like be a part of this kind of very cool Marvel publishing side and work with these amazing folks like Sarah Brunstead and like everyone else came together to do this. And Sarah came to me and was like, hey, you know, we want to do this piece about covers that spotlighted women of color, which, you know, there are a number of them. And so I had a really good time putting together 10 great examples of just amazing women of color characters You know, from 1985 until 2021, I tried to include it. It was just a bunch of fun. Obviously, if you love comics, pick it up. A lot of great cute little like one pagers or short stories. But also it's great for like first time comic readers. Like it's a good introduction to some of these characters. A great introduction to some of the new artists and writers. I mean, the fact that like when I looked at the credits page and I was like, I don't recognize these names. That's amazing. It's so good, right? And, and one of the the marvelous things about it is that you hit it on the head. There's so many characters in here. They're, like you've got Misty Knight, you've got Emma Frost, you've got Jen Walters. Like you just have all of your favorites, but also just across the board, across the spectrum. And Judy, speaking of amazing legends amazing characters in the marvel universe and now we're gonna talk about a real life person i'm excited because you got a chance to actually interview one of the many women at marvel who paved the way for these women editors artists writers and commentators like us hi one of my personal favorite writers honestly louise wheezy simonson Oh my God, I definitely fangirled a little bit. You know, obviously I've had the opportunity to, to meet and, and interact with Wheezy uh, over the years. She was on one of our Women of Marvel panels. I mean, I think she's been on a couple actually over the years. But so for those who don't know, Louise Simonson was one of the first female editors at Marvel in the 1980s. She eventually went on to co-create Power Pack, Marvel's first preteen superhero team with June Brigman. And she gave June Brigman, like, if not her first, but her main Marvel work, which is pretty amazing and she's also one of the brilliant minds behind x factor she worked and managed the x-men books in the 80s including working with Chris claremont and as part of that she wrote the forward to this comic which is i think such a great way to sort of bring in a little bit of history while you look to the future of women in comics you know what i i couldn't have said it better honestly she's she's one of my heroes my first comic book that my father ever gave me was actually a trade paperback that had 
work by Weezy in it. And so like, I will always remember like all the work that she's done and what she's paved. But anyway, you know what? Enough about us gushing. We should just take a listen to the interview. I'm incredibly excited to have Louise Simonson. Louise, I'm so excited for you to be on the podcast. Hello. Hi, I'm excited to be here. This will be fun. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because you were you were at Marvel in the 80s in a period of time that I, I really feel was like a, a unique sort of like almost renaissance for women working at Marvel, you know, because there had been women there before. There was obviously Flo and, you know, Linda Fight and Patty Cockrum, Patty Cockrum and all these people. But what's your comic origin story? How did you get started in comics? I, I got started at Warren Publishing which is a black and white, was a black and white horror book publisher back in the day. They did Creepy, Eerie, and Vampirella. And, and a book called, um, oh God, what was the name of the book now? A Blazing Combat. Um, it was a war book at, at Marvel, um, written by Archie Goodwin. And for some reason, I don't even like war books, but I really liked that one. And so that kind of got me reading Archie's stuff. So I, and then I, you know, was, became familiar with the other Warren material, but it never occurred to me to work there. I was working in New York for adver an advertising promotion for a magazine publisher. And I had a friend who worked at Warren Publishing and she said, there's an opening for a job there and it pays better than your job and you can do it. And I said, okay, well, I might as well apply, right? So I go and I, apply for a job, it's in production, which is paste-ups and mechanicals and that kind of thing. I was hired there and it did pay a little bit more than the job that I had <laughs> at the other <laughs> A priority, obviously. <laughs> yeah, very important at the time. Even now, it would, even more, now it would be even more so. You know, I started off in the production department there doing, you know, art corrections and paste-ups and mechanicals. I was, eh, you know, not, I have to say I was not a great production per person, but it was a very small company and what they needed was a pair of hands. And they'd say, oh gosh, can somebody do a letters column? And I'd say, I can do that. Can somebody do this? I can do that. So I, I, there was a lot of things I thought I could do and most of them I could. I just wasn't great at the production part. <laughs> and um, they created an assistant, but I probably a month or two into it. They created an assistant editor position for me, which they hadn't had before, and moved me over into editorial. And then after that, I loved it. I mean, I loved working at Warren anyway. It was it was small and intimate and fun. But, you know, once I was in at the editorial end, I, I was even more fun. You know, I loved the working with the stories and the pictures and oh, writing advertising copy for the old Warren magazines, which was, you know, why you should buy this, this mask, the monster mask or this monster statue or whatever. That was how I got into comics. A couple of years, maybe three or four years later, the, the editor, Bill Jubay, left and I insisted on having the editor-in-chief job there. But I, I loved doing it. I loved doing that part. And then a couple of years later, Jim Shooter over at Marvel asked me if I would come and edit there. So that's how I ended up transitioning into Marvel. How did you how did you know Jim? Was it just because the, the publishing industry was so small? I mean, like, what was those connections? The publishing industry was small. I think it was because I played volleyball with, <laughs> with the Marvel. You, you know what? I'm not I'm not laughing at you. I got my job at Marvel because I played softball. I'm la oh no, I'm I'm not I'm laughing because it's Yeah, no, that's so great. But like what a small world. Right? I never know. <laughs> 
Well, you were sort of this era of the first sort of generation of female editors at Marvel, right? Because your time was Joe Duffy was there, and and then you started, and then a couple years later, Annie Nascenti started. Yeah, Annie is Annie's the best. Joe, Joe and Annie are both great. What was it sort of like transitioning to superheroes? Obviously, Marvel was was a ragtag world back then too. So I was given at first the licensed projects which seems to be what the new editor always gets handed. <laughs> those go, those go yep, first. Yep. And two Chris Claremont books. I got handed, this was man things at, at first. And then a couple of months later, I was supposed to get the X-Men after they finished up with the, the Phoenix storyline. I got handed that one early because... There was a, oh, I don't even know what you'd call it, kind of a misunderstanding, I understand, between Salakrup and Shooter about what was allowed and what wasn't allowed in the book. Chris used to, because he knew I was going to eventually take over the book, and I mean, Chris and I have always gotten along. He would come into my office and he would show me pages. And one of the pages he showed me was a, a page where Phoenix flares and takes out a planet with living people on it, living asparagus people or broccoli people or whatever they were. And I said, you you can't do that. You can't have Phoenix just kill all these people. And Chris said, oh, it's okay. You know, Shooter has seen it. Shooter has, has approved it. So I said, okay, well, you know, what do I know? I don't, I'm just learning the rules here. You know, maybe that's all right. You know, we could, we could kill people in <laughs> war. I'm sure, why not? And then several months later, when Shooter saw it, either saw it again or saw it for the first time, depending on whose story you're hearing, he completely freaked out and said, okay, then Phoenix has to die. And he pulled Salakrup off the book, who was a really good editor, I think. And, you know, plonked me on right in the middle of, a, of the death of Phoenix story. So that's I mean, that's how I ended up taking over the X-Men. Wow. I mean, to start the first series you start out is sort of this uh, a big event. I know. I know. Isn't that wow. bizarre? You'd, you'd think they would have handed that to some other more experienced person or Marvel experienced person. But I loved working with Chris. I loved working on the X-Men. You know, he was so full of ideas. And, his, and he did such a great job with stories. I just thought the stories he told were very compelling. So, you know, I... It really loved working with him from the beginning. I was very happy to have been given the X-Men. Also, I think at the time, the X-Men were considered kind of a second-level book, even though they sold very well. They weren't part... They weren't real. A real Superheroes. Marvel. They, they were weren't like, real superheroes weren't real or whatever. superheroes, no. But, um, so I was quite happy to, <laughs> to be had with them, actually. It was great. Yeah, I mean, you know, for the people I've talked to... I think, it, you know, what I said earlier is the sort of like new world era where a lot more women were becoming who had who had grown up with comics. Right. And grown up with these characters that Stan and Steve and Jack Kirby had made and this new world order. And I mean, obviously, the X-Men are some of them. But then also the 80s was this period of time of new created characters. Right. You know, you you worked with June Brigman on Power Pack and. June told the story about how she came to New York City and, and came to visit the office. And you were like, can you draw children? And she was like, yes. And then, and then the power pack was born. I mean, that's kind of amazing. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was such a weird idea that you've got to give Shooter a lot of credit for actually going for it. He had been wanting his editors to do freelance work as well, not because we needed the money, because, you know, his pay was decent, but because he wanted us to see what it was like on the other side of the desk. I thought maybe I could write stories, 
But I also knew that we had writers and we had colorists who earned their living by doing this. And I already had a job and it didn't seem fair to take any of their jobs. So I thought, well, maybe if I'm, I, he Shooter hired a whole batch of new editors. Um, he cut our workload in half, essentially. And I was fine with the workload I had before, so I got bored. So I said, well, maybe I can write something. And I thought of this idea that it's four little kids who are superheroes. And I went to him and I said, well, I have this idea. There are four little kids who are superheroes. And he sort of rolled his eyes and he said, well, write up something. Maybe we'll get a miniseries out of it, you know, and not a lot of hope in his voice. And I said, which I don't blame him for. And I said, okay. So I wrote up a, a plot. Uh, actually, I wrote up one complete plot, four rough plots, or three rough plots following that up. And then June came into my office and you've heard the June story, which is, she's, I said, can you draw kids? And June said, oh, sure. And I said, okay, we'll take this home and, you know, bring me back drawings of the kids. And if they're right, then I'll propose this as a team. So she came in with these wonderful little drawings and I went into Shooter and I, you know, stapled everything together and had it to him. And a couple of days later, he came back having loved it. He said, this is, this is great. You've now got a series, not a mini series, a series monthly series. And the first issue is a double-sized issue and it's due in, I don't know what it was, a couple of months maybe. And June has never drawn a comic book before. And I had never written a 22-page comic book before. So I was like, and this is for, what, 38 pages we were? 40, 40 pages, whatever the first issue of Power Pack was. Shooter was taking a chance, you know? And, and but, but the, you know, it was, it was pretty popular at the time. So it was, uh, I mean, that's how I started writing in Marvel, and it was, and I was delighted to work with June. I mean, she, her, her little drawings were so wonderful. You know, the kids were very, were more themselves from the drawings than they were just from my writing. You know, the, the, the attitudes, their physical attitudes were so perfect that it was, it was great. I was very lucky, you know, to have June, because if I'd had another artist, it might not have gone over. If I had had a different editor-in-chief, he would have never asked me to draw to write anything or allowed me to write anything to begin with, probably. You know, it was, it was, it was, I, I put it all on Jim Shooter. Well, I, I mean, I think, uh, the, I mean, these characters, obviously the power pack are still, they're still characters that are printed today. You know, they're, they're characters that still resonate. You and I are doing a miniseries. Yeah. And a new generation, right? You know, you are just like in the 1980s. Now you're bringing a new generation of comic fans, which is what we need. We need more books for young readers, but I love to sort of you know, you wrote the forward for Woman of Marvel number one, but I, I'd love to sort of, before we get talking about that, you know, there's sort of this misconception that women never worked in comics, which is completely untrue. And clearly, you know, you there we've said many names of women who worked at Marvel from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and you are continuing to work in comics since then. Obviously, you know, you you, you put your time in as an editor at Marvel, but they've gone on to do so much more in the industry. What has it been like for you to sort of watch the industry evolve to a place that's much more acceptable for women working and a place where, you know, now we are writing stories not for an incredibly inclusive audience? Like what is, I mean, like, you know, from from your experiences, I don't know if you went to conventions in the 80s or the 90s, but like for you sitting on a Women of Marvel panels a couple of years ago and you know, having a room full of 
a room full of screaming fans? I mean, like, what has it been like for you? I actually love that there are more women in comics. Back in the in the olden days, in the eighties, there were fewer women in the, but the women were were prime. <laughs> That's all I can say. There was I loved Virginia Romita. Virginia Romita was the the head of production. She was John Romita's wife, and she and John would come into the office every day, and Virginia would you know make sure everybody got their books turned in on time more or less and I don't know I just thought she was the best she would she would give you advice on on vitamins I don't know she was just great you know she you could talk to her like a like a human being so I I loved it she would come down to my office and we would talk and you know mostly I got my books in on time so we didn't have a lot of conflict so there are a lot of sort of unsung marvel heroes that I wish would do interviews because Millie particularly, Millie, Millie knew where the bodies were buried. She knew, you know, who had turned stuff in and who hadn't and who had, you know, vouchered early and who hadn't. I mean, Millie would have a lot of stories that I'm sure people would love to hear and it would be okay to tell them now because, you know, we're all older. Yeah, I, she's, she's somebody whose name isn't usually mentioned, I think. And, and um, you know, she and Virginia both deserve a lot of, I don't know, accolades, I think. I think they were both terrific. I agree. I mean, the stories of Virginia have been phenomenal for what I've heard. And, you know, I, there are so many things. I mean, I spent 15 years at Marvel, but there are so many women that I just, you know, didn't get an option, didn't get a chance to talk to, or, you know, like people like Flo, who was just the sweet, the sweet woman who came and gave you a kiss on the cheek. Like there was just so, it, 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 you know, Marvel at that period of time was a different world, but like, you know, as we were sort of talking off off before we started recording, but like, you know, this book, Women of Marvel number one, I mean, there's so many new women, so many new creators coming to Marvel that it's amazing, right? Like, you know, I, I feel like you've always been this sort of unsung and also sung hero for women creators, right? You gave June her first shot, you know, you've there's so many female editors and creators that looked up to you, like, but like, what is it like now to, to have... To be able to write a forward for a book of all women in a period of time that we are now seeing this world, this renaissance, this golden age of, of women and non-binary people in comics. Uh, I think that it reflects the fact that there are more women doing comics now reflects that there are more women reading comics. I think it's kind of like, like one of those loop things where more women read comics and I think a lot of that had to do with, with the X-Men books, actually. And then the, I know the X-Men TV show, the, the cartoon show, got a lot of women interested in Marvel Comics. I think that that, from the, a lot of the women I've talked to who are now doing comics, became interested because of the cartoon. And I think that it was kind of a feedback loop where the more they were interested, the more women became interested in doing them. And the more interested, more women who did comics, the women started reading comics more because there were stories that were maybe even more interested to them. Which is not to say, I think women like stories, this is a generalization, it's probably talking about myself, they like stories about character. I like stories about character. I think that it's all very well to show, you know, a couple of big guys hitting each other until one of them falls down. But that's that never interested me in stories, even in, you know, superhero comics. I, I would go fight, 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 fight. Oh, interesting human interaction. I would read those more carefully. Fight, fight, fight. Oh, human interaction. And I would read those again. The human interactions were, were always my preference. And I think that 
at least I myself, that's what I liked to focus on in stories, even when people were, you know, not fighting each other and knocking each other over. I think that's the story of Marvel, right? The story of Marvel is these characters that are fallible, that have faults, that fall down and get back up. And I think the X-Men are like such a true story of that. I, I mean, you, you talked about all these women getting into the animated shows. I mean, I think so many of our current comic writers, like female writers, Leah Williams has talked about how she remembers the first X-Men book she bought. Teeny Howard, Vita Ayala, like all these, you know, women and non-binary that are like, the X-Men were central to their story. And I think that, I think that is really important. I think it's, it's these characters. I mean, the fight scenes are cool, but like, I, I want to know like why they're doing what they're doing or, right. you know, and the why is really important. And that's where character comes in. You know, it's, it's the razzle dazzle of, you know, big people hitting each other and making them fall down is all very well. I mean, that's visual fun, but it's like the why, whether well, the story is what's behind the fight. And I think that women are actually pretty good at focusing on that. It's sort of a mind boggling to think about, you know, the history of the company and how far it's gone. And Marvel still has 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 still some steps to go. Uh, and I think and I think, yeah, I think this Women of Marvel book is just one more piece. Right. You know, they've done the Marvel Voices books, which are great, too. And I mean, so what was it like when you were approached to to write the forward for this? What were they what was sort of your task to to to, to write for? Well, it was I. I guess just to write an introduction and I wasn't given any guidance particularly just, you know, there's a book with a lot of women's voices and uh, what do you want to, what do you have to say about them? So, you know, I, I gave kind of a historical context because I didn't, had not read a lot of the work. You know, I hadn't seen the work that was in the comic, but I, you know, I knew it would be good or Marvel wouldn't be publishing it. You know, it's kind of nice to have, a showcase for all of these people. Let You know, another thing I, that you didn't mention earlier, speaking of women in comics, is the colorists and the letterers. Uh, just the army of women that, thanks to Marie Severin, you know, and the many women that came through that colored. I mean, yeah, that's... Uh, and, and you were sort of part of that story, right? Because you were interacting with so many of those women that were, that were freelancing as colorists and letterers. You no, know, I did, yes. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I loved Janice. Janice was great. What was odd about it was that I didn't think, oh, how few women there are in the business. I mean, every once in a while, I noticed that I was the only woman in the room. And I didn't hire women because they were women. I hired them because they were people who were good at what they did. And, you know, the, the fact that they were women or were guys wouldn't have made a difference. I, I, I wanted good people working in comics. And those were the people that I hired when I had the opportunity. Yeah, there was, oh gosh, Christy Scheel and Glennis Oliver. Like Jean Thomas, Francois Mouly, Irene Vartanov, Glennis Oliver, you said Glennis, Michelle Wolfman, Petra Goldberg, Mimi Gold. I mean, there were just so many women, and a lot of those women were probably more 70s. But they're definitely, like, it was the story of, of for many women who sort of came through were, you know, picked up some extra freelance work. Maybe they were in the office at the time. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's it totally, it's it's that story of all these women behind the scenes that maybe their work was invisible because back then we didn't, we didn't necessarily credit colorists, right? Now we do on, on well, the books. The colorists were credited, but it wasn't the, the kind of elaborate color that's done now. When you had what, maybe 27 or 28 
colors that actually would you could use that would would show up, you know, as different colors um, in in a comic book. It was all flat color on newsprint paper, so it was a very different kind of coloring, and it took a different kind of skill set, I think. Uh, Christy Shield has gone on to do fine arts. I'm very, I don't know if you've interviewed her, but she's doing like beautiful paintings now. And so is Mary Wilshire. They're actually, they've moved into the fine art and are doing just fine. So, you know, we, we were lucky to have them when we had them. Yeah. I think that everyone's who's worked at Marvel has, has put a little bit of their story in the overall story of, of this huge universe, right? All these characters, every person from writing to drawing to inky to coloring to the editors to the, you know, to Carol Collish, who was, you know, an incre incredible woman who helped create the way that people got comics. And, you know, obviously her life was ended too soon. And there's so many amazing women and it's, it's just so great. And as I sort of dive into this world, I'm very like, I'm sort of, proud that I was, you know, I didn't know when I started at Marvel that this was, this is the history, right? You know, when you start at Marvel, it's obviously Stan and Steve and Jack and, but there are so many more women that like you, like, it's an honor to talk to you. Like you did a lot of work for us. I, I know you're shaking your head, but I don't just, I don't agree. So, well, you know, you, and it's interesting because in the foreword you, you wrote that you didn't necessarily ever want to write female-led titles. I mean, we're... Right. I think... Because those were canceled. They would last six months, and then they were gone. And I didn't want to be put into... That was where a lot of women who came in and wanted to write comics, if one of the editors were feeling benevolent, they would slot a woman onto a a comic that was just doomed because there were comics were bought by guys who only wanted to read about guys. So I didn't, I refused to be part of that. Well, until I, I wrote Red Sonia, which was another whole thing, which was really fun. But at that point I had been, I had written a lot of other comics. So I, I felt like it was safe to do that. I liked working particularly on group books. I mean, group books are hell for the artists. There are all these characters with all these interactions. And, but I, I found it very interesting. I, I, you know, I was, I was really happy to work on the X-Men and then the New Mutants as an editor. And then later as a writer, it gave you a lot of opportunity for character interaction. You had to choose, kind of choose because of it, because of what Shooter had said. And, you know, you want a story with a beginning and a middle and an end, and you want a character who's the hero of each story, but you had a lot of options when you had a group book to make somebody, someone the hero of this one and another one the hero of that one. You know, in, in it, it was it was a more complex stories, and I enjoyed doing the more complex stories. Um, I, but I didn't want to be put in the the female only ghetto, at which was a thing that happened at the time. You know, you'd, you if you were a woman, you would be asked to do a one issue or, or maybe a short story with, you know, Spider-Woman in it or something. And I didn't want to do that. But then, of course, Larry Hama, who I adore, asked me to write Red Sonia, which he was editing at the time, with Mary Wilshire as the artist. And it was, that was really fun. Mary and I did a really strange Red Sonia. It was a kind of a romance comic, only it was Red Sonia. It was very strange. I'll have to go back and read that sometime and see if it made sense, but it was really fun to do. It was fun working with Mary on that one. 
<laughs> she was she was she was a a a co collaborator on that one we, we did we had a lot of fun on it yeah I mean that sort of sounds like what you love to do right you love to be a collaborator with the teams you were on from from Chris to June to Mary you know this is I mean that's the that's the truth of comics right it's a collaboration between all the it's team sport. yeah it's a team sport generally for almost everybody when you get the occasional writer artist like Frank Miller or Walter Simonson but mostly it's a team sport and you you have to get along with people to you know, to play that particular game, I think, and enjoy it. I guess you can do it and not enjoy it. It's one of the things I like about working marble style instead of working full script, which the editors have been really nice to let me do because that's not the way comics are generally done these days. I think you get better pictures that way. You tell the artist what happens, but you let them choose how to show it. The pictures are better. Well, I mean, that's the story of Marvel family, the the comic artist family, right? The, you know, it's, it is, it's a bigger industry than it was, you know, in the eighties, but it's still a small industry. And, you know, you guys sometimes are all up against the wall, deadlines looming, things happening and you, you know, you bond, you come together, especially over the love of these characters, the love of these stories, the fandom, right? The, 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 the fact that, the fans are so involved in these stories. This is one of the great things about conventions. And I'm really glad that everyone is getting vaccinated now and that we will be able to have conventions again soon. And anybody who's listening to this who hasn't been vaccinated, just think conventions. And um, it's nice to talk to people. I mean, I don't really these days follow Marvel Comics as much as I did, but I do talk to the fans. We I, At conventions, I do, you know, I sit at the table and sign. The fans tell me what's going on. You know, I found out Apocalypse has had a whole very interesting life beyond <laughs> the one that I gave him, so that's cool. You know, a wife and a child and all sorts of stuff that, uh, you know, I had no idea was going on. So, I, you know, I love, I do, I love talking to the fans and I love signing books and, and interacting with them. And I do find that there are more women in the line now than there used to be. You know, even a lot of the Marvel comics that I did back in the 80s, I mean, I've done a batch of them that were, you know, more recent than that. But, you know, people will bring the reprints. You know, I'll, I'll be able to sign them and we'll have, be able to have a conversation. It's really, it's really a pleasure. It's nice to see, to talk to the people who buy your comic and read it. You know, obviously you're still working. Do you sort of have any advice after, you know, you know, every different elements of your career? Like if someone wants to get into comics or if they want to be an editor in comics, I mean, do you have any advice for them? Oh, gosh. Talk to people, interact with people. If you can possibly do it, make personal contacts. If they like you, they'll give you a chance. Maybe, if you're lucky. I mean, I, I I know that in the olden days you had to live in New York. I think to be an editor, you probably still do. As an artist or a writer, you don't show, I, you know, I things have changed so much. You know, back in the olden days, well, in the 80s, people could walk into Marvel with a portfolio and just, you know, it, I mean, they, we had a receptionist, but it wasn't like she was a guard who kept people out exactly you know she called some editor and say so we i have somebody who wants to show you a portfolio most of the people had good sense and actually made appointments ahead of time and you know they'd come into the office they, they would show the right artists particularly would be shown their 
they would show their work to the person that came to show it to. And then often they were, you know, were allowed to kind of wander up and down the halls, often being escorted by the person that came in to see if the work was good. These days, it isn't like that. I think you have to do all of your, you're interacting online, I mean, particularly with COVID. But even before that, I, I think that, you know, you could interact with people at conventions, um, but online is the way to go. You know, you have to make friends and, you know, let people see how good your work is. If they don't see how good it is, then they won't know to hire you. Um, I'd say, you know, do your independent projects online and try to get an audience. And if you, if, when you show, if we, when people see that it's good, then they'll want you know, on their books. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely online is the way to go, meeting people. But I don't think, I mean, I think things have changed. They've obviously, you know, the internet has changed a lot of things, but I think a lot of things are still the same from the world that, you know, when you were an editor at Marvel, it's all about being a team player, right? It's all, you know, you have to, you, you have to prove that you could do that. And you have to realize that comics is a lot of work. When you pick a comic up, it doesn't, you don't think, you just think about a cool story. You don't think, oh, this is, you know, hours and hours of some artist or several artists often, mostly sitting, you know, at, at a drawing board for, you know, 10 hours a day, you know, working very hard. It's not an easy way to make a living. It's a fun way of making a living if you love doing it. Well, this is I, honestly, I wish I could talk to you forever. I, and this is I, and this is just a podcast. And I think I don't, I'm not sure our fans would necessarily want to listen to us talk for like hours on end. Oh, yeah, I think I, I probably heard enough. <laughs> I, I will disagree. I think that you have you have you have so many great stories. I'm glad you think so, because I think I just jabber on and who knows. So I'm, I'm glad you, you do not just jabber on. It's gold. It's gold. But I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And obviously, Thank you for writing the forward for Women of Marvel number one. I think it's true to sort of have someone who's paved the road for all these women to join, to join us on this magical ride. And uh, hopefully everyone go picks it up. And do you have any social media or anything that like that? Can anyone find you? No. I'm, I'm only on Facebook. <laughs> and I, I almost everything I post, I post available to everybody, you know, I don't I, I don't put any kind of uh, limitations on them so people can just look at you know if they're interested if if you if you're interested in seeing what I'm I don't look like or something <laughs> you, can, you can, can get on Facebook and look at my face <laughs> well uh thank you so and obviously you're still working so if, if fans at home want to see what you're doing right now make sure you guys are paying attention subscribe to Lucy Emerson on Facebook because uh, you got stuff coming up. So, I mean, thank, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. This has been incredibly lovely. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Judy, you sounded like you had the time of your life interviewing Wheezy. I really did. I mean, she's such a force in this history of comics and she has just so much knowledge and I, I'm, I, I'm trying my best to take as much of what's in her brain and 
get it out in the world so that we remember it, right? And that's so important. It's the story of telling the work of all these women and continuing that as it is so important that, you know, we are able to give these creators a platform for them to speak about their work and, and so that we remember it generations moving forward. You know what? Agreed. That's what Women of Marvel is all about. Listeners, if you haven't already checked out Women of Marvel number one, now available anywhere you get your comics. Honestly, it is truly a joy getting in your life. Yeah, and if you've already picked it up, let us know which ones are your favorite story. We definitely want to hear. We're available on Instagram at the Woman of Marvel, or you can tweet at us at Marvel using the hashtag Woman of Marvel. But before we go, we've got some exciting news Angelique's doing with ESPN. Yeah, so May 3rd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, you can check out a Marvelized version of an NBA game. It's going to be the Warriors versus uh, <clears throat> my home state Pelicans. I'm not saying that I'm biased in this game. Whatever, I'm just going to do my job. But it's going to be really dope. It's going to be on ESPN2 as well as ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. But and it's going to be a really cool side story on top of watching a great NBA game. Really, really, really excited to be heading to Bristol to the ESPN studios to do that. So make sure y'all are all tuned in. Until next time, this is Marvel. Your universe. Women of Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams and Zachary Goldberg, along with Judy Stevens, Ellie Pyle, and me, Angelique Rocher. Our development manager is Brad Barton, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Louise Simonson.